that great song service. We are in the book of Philippians, if you'd make your way to the book of Philippians, New Testament book of of Philippians, and we're in chapter 1. We continue our verse-by-verse study through this book, and we're in chapter 1. So far, we've studied chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and we've learned that this book is really a template for what it means to be members one of another, which is our annual theme this year. And we pick up from where we left off with verse 12. Now, all week long, it seemed like, really for the last couple of weeks, I've had in my mind and in my notes that we were going to study verses 12 through 18 this morning. And a couple of days ago, after I'd already told Mark that, uh, I texted him back and said, there, there's preaching and preparing a message uh, is kind of like a train. You put all the cars back to back to back that you can handle, and then you put on the caboose. Uh, whenever you've got, uh, and I, I was going to put the caboose on at uh, at the end of verse 18. Well, too much train, and so it's going to be verses 12 through 14, just three verses, and I think you'll find that that is plenty for this morning. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out, have played out, have resulted, rather, unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord becoming confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. This morning, a message that I've titled, Sentenced but Not Silenced. And I'm not so sure I like that title. Uh, you, You may want to put there, Restricted but Not Silenced, or um bound up but not, or burdened but not, because actually Paul, as you know, was en route to Rome. He landed in Rome uh, at the end of the book of Acts to, because he had appealed to Caesar. Uh, uh, they were going to basically do away with him, but he appealed to Caesar being a Roman citizen and a Jew and uh, wanted Caesar to be able to hear his case and to pass sentence. So he actually had not, it just occurred to me just now, Vic, that wasn't a, in context, good title, sentenced. He hadn't been sentenced yet, okay? Y'all with me? I, I was, again, I was on the pain medication, you know? <laughs> what can I say? But you appreciate the distinction I'm making. He was going to be sentenced, but he hadn't been yet. But either way, he was not silenced. Paul, not silenced in his difficulty. So, Let's look at a couple of points about this, and it very much applies to us today. First of all, verses 12 and 13 tell us in so many words that bonds can be, should be, beneficial. Ought to be beneficial when you are bound up with this, that, or the other thing. And the Apostle Paul 
um, not actually in prison. He wasn't in those kind of bonds, but he was under house arrest. So he was being restricted. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that he was under house arrest? Well, just a few days after Paul had left Syracuse, which is on the island uh, of Sicily, uh, off the coast of Italy, and uh, uh, Kathy and I were just there four months ago. And folks, literally, I, it just when you're a Baptist pastor uh, and you get to stand where you know that the Apostle Paul stood and preached. That's a pretty heady stuff. And uh, uh, there's a particular temple there, a, a huge building that's known to be 2,500 years old. It was built, it was erected 500 years before the Apostle Paul. Well, what was the Apostle Paul's habit whenever he would go uh, into a place on his missionary journeys? And he was on his second missionary journeys. Well, his habit always was to go to the synagogue, to go uh, uh, to Mars Hill, uh, to go where the public met. And this uh, in Syracuse, well, you could see, you could have seen this building from anywhere. For literally for miles, you could have seen this building. It was the gathering place of, of philosophers, of religionists, and all. And so it is certain that in Syracuse, on the island of Sicily, just before Paul got to Rome. He was at this particular location. And we know, uh, and, and that was in Acts 28 and verse 12, but Acts 28 and verse 16, just uh, four verses later, and literally just a few days after he was in Syracuse, because he was only in Syracuse three days, and he left. And it says, and we came to Rome, and the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered. He was allowed to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. Now, this particular soldier and this guard that's being re- referenced here is, is certainly the Praetorian guard. Uh, the elite soldiers uh, they lasted for 300 years, about 100 uh, BC to 200 AD or so, and they were pretty much charged with uh, the protection of the emperor. Now, I ask you this imagine uh, if you were a lost Roman soldier and you were an elite soldier. You were considered by everybody else uh, as the elite of the elite. You're the secret service. Uh, You're you're that kind of uh, elite um, in that culture. Imagine if if you were one of those guys who got assigned to guard the Apostle Paul. Who's in bondage? (laughs) You know? Oh, no, I've got to go deal with that that preacher uh, for the next uh, 12 hours uh, or so. It it had to have been. There were some of them who uh, must have thought that way. Um, Verse 13 uh, says, as a matter of fact, that the gospel became known. Notice at the end of verse 13, uh, it was manifest. uh, My bonds in Christ, why I am here, is manifest in all the palace and in all other places. So it it spread all over Rome. The the eminent uh, Greek scholar A.T. Robertson commented, there were originally 10,000 of these picked soldiers concentrated in Rome by Tiberius. They had double pay, special privileges, and became so powerful that the emperors had to court their favor. Paul had contact with one another, uh, with one after another, of these soldiers. So uh, of these 10,000 soldiers, in the course of a couple of years, Paul encountered certainly dozens and dozens, if not scores or hundreds of them. And of course, uh, like the Apostle Paul, like every believer, when given an open door, we are to introduce the gospel. 
Commentator Richard Linsky speculated that for two years, day after day, soldier after soldier, guarded Paul in his rented house. That is, Paul had to pay for where he was staying. In, in this way, Paul gained entrance into the praetorium cohorts. His daily guards heard all he said and did, talked about it in their barracks, became interested in the case, and when it was now up for hearing, when it was established that the imprisonment had to do with this Christ of Paul's teaching, the whole influential body of the empirical guard became thoroughly conversant with and interested in the case. Now, clearly, he is speculating But that is extremely reasonable. This is getting to the end of Paul's life. Uh, We know what his life consisted of for 20 years leading up to this point. Uh, So it is certainly um, not only possible, it's it's all but certain that that's exactly what happened to the degree that verse 13 says the gospel was known everywhere. It was known all over the place because of the bonds that Paul had. In other words, folks, the bonds were beneficial. Now, For Paul, it was restrictive, it was uncomfortable, and he could have been in a lot worse condition, uh, but still he was restricted. But it was beneficial for the cause of Christ. Brother Saylor and I uh, were just chatting this morning earlier about his brother uh, with ALS, John. I saw him a month ago uh, before I had surgery, and Mark sees him regularly. And uh, I'm reminded of what John told Mark uh, one time, not long ago. Mark, uh, you might beat me to heaven. And I reminded Mark, I said, Mark, you and I might, might beat John there, even though John is diminishing and all. What am I saying? I'm saying that even no matter what the bonds are, we know that this earthly pilgrimage is running out one day at a time, isn't it, for all of us? Can I get a witness? Amen? And let your bonds be beneficial for the cause of Christ, as we see very clearly right here in our text, that that is the case. You see, Paul desired to, to go to Rome as a preacher, but he went as a prisoner. It seems like his mission then was thwarted. No, not at all. His mission was the doors were blown open because of the difficulty that he was. Y'all appreciate that? Do you see that? Had it not been for the difficulty, had it not been for the bonds, had he not been under house arrest and given a Roman guard, a praetorian guard, make sure he doesn't do anything that's going to injure uh, the emperor, those bonds benefited the gospel And that is why we're here, to be a showcase, to be a poster uh, child, if you will, for the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. So the messenger was put in restriction, but the message was not silenced. At the very end of his life, coming to the end of this Roman house arrest, he wrote, and he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 9, wherein, that is because of the gospel, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, as if I did something wrong, even unto bonds, folks, but the word of God is not bound. So on your deathbed, uh, no matter what your situation in life, no matter how desperate it seems like it is for you, and it actually might be for you, as a believer, you can still and must shine the light of the gospel because you may have a greater audience then than you will ever have had up to that point. The Apostle Paul was in Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, a a few blocks away from Caesar with one of Caesar's personal guards that the gospel got spread to all. 
He had a greater platform uh, maybe there and in that situation for those two years than maybe any time up to that point. You all getting the message here? I mean, this is, this is significant. This is, this is boots on the ground Christianity for all who will follow him and receive it like that. In the last two verses of the book of Acts, in Acts 28, 30, and 31. Look what it says. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And so no matter what the obstacle you have in your life, you can remember what Paul faced in his situation, and he was physically restricted. But he let her rip. He let it rip. And he had a great assurance uh, in, in the message that he was sharing. Now, you may never spend time behind bars for sharing the gospel. And I may not either, uh, although uh, I find it to be a distinct possibility that I will. I really do. I actually find it to be, uh, I'm going to be 66 years old next month. I'm presumably going to be preaching for another 20 years, not necessarily pastoring uh, Redbridge. Uh, uh, preaching is the easy part, by the way. It's the pastoring that kills you. <laughs> and so uh, I might not continue pastoring, uh, but I'll, I'll still keep preaching. And so in the next 20 years, can you, where has where our culture come in the last 20 years? Kind of had a radical uh, paradigm shift, hasn't it? Well, what's the next 20 years hold for? So uh, it very well could be uh, that I'll be an 88-year-old preacher behind bars. And if so, I'm going to purpose to have the fastest growing uh, 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 Jackson County uh, jailhouse church in, in the history of Jackson County, Missouri. Amen? We very well may be in bonds like Paul, but probably most of us not. But that does not mean that the devil doesn't want you to be bound. He wants to silence your witness. And he wants to do that right now, even in your current life circumstance. Let me offer this. There, there are three, um, three biggies, three big bondage, potential uh, points of bondage that any one of us could, in fact, maybe even have faced. How about this? The bondage of financial collapse. How can that be beneficial? Preacher, how can the bondage of financial collapse be beneficial? Well, for one thing, if I didn't have the, the uh, spendable money, in, uh, income that I have, and, and if, I, if I didn't have to watch um, every dollar, uh, which uh, I, I've come into the first time in my life that uh, in the last few years, uh, that's uh, literally uh, the case, it could, in fact, it would cause my dependency on the Lord to strengthen. Is that a good thing? That I'm more dependent on God? Amen. That I'm less independent? That I'm less dependent on? In other words, isn't it a good thing uh, that I must decrease and he must increase? Amen. Well, a financial, serious financial problem in your life where you truly are uh, strapped financially, that very well could be beneficial because it will show you where your trust really lies. Am I trusting in Almighty God or in the Almighty dollar? And so financial ruin may be beneficial to you. How about this? The bondage of physical disease. Can that be beneficial? 
Absolutely it can be beneficial. It can turn your, uh, uh, cause your affection to be set on things above because it brings a new, a brand new, fresh perspective as to what's important. It reminds me uh, that this world is passing away, I'm passing away, the outward man is perishing, and therefore, uh, at the very best, all I'm doing, by the way, folks, all I'm doing is just propping myself up. The grave's still in front of me, Right? Uh, if the Lord doesn't call uh, us home first by way of the rapture. And so it will renew uh, my affection and set it on things above. Folks, the, the obstruction in your life might be the opportunity for the gospel to radiate from you unlike it ever has before. It not, not only might be, it should be. It, uh, it can be that. In your life. So whatever your burden is right now, whatever your bondage is, if you're sitting in jail, as it were, due to financial stresses, due to physical problems, then you look for that new perspective of what is most important and then take that opportunity, not focusing on the obstacle, not focusing on the obstruction, but you walk above that. You hurdle that and look for an opportunity to make a difference for the cause of Christ. That's why you're here. And you're going to spend an eternity with him. You can rest when you get to heaven. You can sit down there. And by the way, uh, speaking of that, the, the whole idea of retirement, stop your job. That's great. Uh, if, income, uh, if the income allows you to do that, wonderful. But don't stop living for him. Don't, don't go on a sabbatical from serving him uh, for you only have a little while. Paul only had a little while. And he recognized that. Caesar's going to have his head probably in a couple of years. He didn't know for sure, so he was going to serve with gusto while he was being restricted. It was beneficial for him. We think of missionary Borden of Yale, William Borden uh, from England, and all of the fortune that he was promised from his family as a young man and all the education, a, a graduate degree from Oxford or Cambridge and, and the like, and his heart was captured um, by, um, uh, I said born uh, from England, uh, from uh, the northeastern part of the United States, which is essentially England, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, he, said, he said, no, uh, I'm going to take the gospel and I'm going to a people group in China that in the history of their civilization had never had one gospel witness. And he came across it and he said, uh, that's, I'm going. And his family said, you can fund lots of missionaries with the money we have. Do that. You be the, the mission board director. And, we'll, and we're going to, nope, nope, God has called me to go. You, you, you have all this education and you don't speak Chinese and, and you're, you're being a fool. Don't do that. Nope, God has called me to go. And so he went in, the middle, in his middle 20s, 25, 26, 27 years old. Because he was going to follow the calling God had placed on his heart to be a missionary to China. Well, on the way, as you know, halfway there, in Egypt, they stopped and he contracted meningitis. And within a short amount of time, died there. Well, during the course of the few years after God had called him before he died, he wrote, it's recorded, uh, reported by his mother, that he wrote down in his Bible th the three phases of his life. The first one after God called him, he said, no reserve. I'm not holding back. I'm giving it all. I'm giving 110%. Here I go. And when 
Everybody said to him, don't do it, don't do it, you're being foolish. This can't be the will of God, what are you thinking? And he says, there's lost people, they're, they're dying without hope and no understanding of Christ. I'm going. His second thing he said is, no retreat. I'm not going back. I'm setting sail, putting my face toward presenting the cross to a, a people group who've never heard. And then on his deathbed, knowing that death was imminent, he wrote down, no regrets. And so, folks, if we can live by that type of, of zeal for the Lord, that no matter what the bonds are, I'm looking for benefit coming from it. I'm looking for an opportunity to let the light shine more than I ever have heretofore. Up to this point in my life, whatever that bondage is that you have, whatever that burden is, whatever that difficulty is, right now, today, look for that opportunity. What about the bondage of ruptured relationships? How can that be beneficial? How could that possibly be beneficial? Well, maybe there's a point of pride. And this has brought you to a point of humiliation. Well, it's good because God resists the proud but does what with the humble? Gives grace. So do you want the grace of God? Then maybe this will be a point of humiliation and it will show you in your darkest hour that you don't have any Anywhere to turn, you'll find that he is all you need because you know he's all you have. And that's a good thing. That's a beneficial thing. When you know the Lord is all you need, he truly can fill your heart. His grace is sufficient. Or it's not. Which is it? Is it all sufficient? Is his grace all sufficient? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, no matter what the trial, Paul said, I have learned that his grace is is all sufficient. So, the benefits of bondage, Paul knew that firsthand. Ralph Martin correctly observed when he wrote that in spite of the hostility of his enemies outside the church and the evil designs of his detractors, we'll get within the, within the, uh, within the church, and we'll get to that next Sunday, the apostle is greatly encouraged by one overriding fact, namely, Christ is being proclaimed. Paul was a witness to the truth, not a defendant in a crime. You see his perspective? I'm not, I didn't commit a crime. You might put me on trial, but I'm not the defendant. I'm a witness. I'm bearing witness to the one for why I'm in this situation. And we are called to do that too. So folks, in your bondage, in the burden that you have, look for the benefit. As Paul tells us, there are those. Secondly, verse 14. Courage, which is contagious. You know, uh, when I wrote this point, uh, I thought of courage in a four. Courage, where are you? There she is. I think you're the only one I've ever known named Courage. And I, so I did, I did a, a, the, a research the etymology of the word courage. What, what does courage mean? Where do we get that word? Well, it's pretty well understood where we got it. It's a Latin term, long, long time ago, hundreds of years ago. And it means, and it has the prefix that is like um, uh, Corazon having to do with art. 
Courage means a matter of the heart. A matter uh, of the heart. So genuine courage, biblical courage, is that which is heartfelt. It's, it's intestinal fortitude, but with a proper spiritual dimension. It's, it's the guts of the matter. And if it were not for Paul's imprisonment, if you will, detainment under house arrest, then the other believers he referenced in verse 14 would not very likely have become as bold. Look at verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord. Now, not everyone. He's not, he's not giving a broad brush that says every single believer is behaving and reacting exactly as he or she should. No, there were likely some who said, okay, I'm going to become a closet disciple. I'm not going to uh, let others know. Uh, I'm going to do what Peter did at the cross and curse at a teenage girl who told me I was a follower. Nope, nope, nope. I'm going to deny, deny. So there very likely were, were some there. But many of the brethren in the Lord became confident by my bonds. And it's present tense. Grew, continued to become confident by my bonds. And they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. That courage that Paul demonstrated became contagious in that his bondage generated their boldness. His bondage generated their boldness. And you, you've experienced that. Have you ever seen someone have dying grace? Die in the grace of God? Almost saying, and John said this to me a month ago or so, uh, not, not, not with not a happy anticipation, but a contentment which is palpable of someone who seemingly is going to be with the Lord very shortly, uh, experiencing bondage, if you will, uh, through tr- life's trials, and yet standing strong in the Lord. How that is contagious. Notice, it was seen by not just other apostles, not just pastors, but it was seen in verse 13, uh, 14 by the brethren in the Lord. It, was, it affected the pew dweller. It affected the church at Rome, uh, and, and it touched you, and you, and you, and him, and her. And many of the brethren grew strong, grew courageous, grew bold in their witness because of what they saw in the great apostle to the Gentiles. I'm encouraged. I'm strengthened. I'm built up when I see others who stand strong in the face of difficulty. You think, uh, you think of Johnny Erickson Tata, who uh, uh, became a, a quadriplegic at age 20-ish or so. Well, she's 70 years old now, give or take, uh, and, and has gone through a bout of severe cancer, and is a worldwide ambassador for the gospel. Her bonds of quadriplegia has benefited the whole world with the gospel and the body of Christ. And I look at her and I've, every chance I get, uh, I try to, uh, to go where she is going to be sharing. If I'm starstruck, it's probably with Johnny Erickson Todd. You all know who I'm talking about? Uh, and I'm not easily starstruck. Um, I'm big enough in my own eyes. No, that, no. <laughs> She's one of them that I am. Because I'm so bold in the Lord when I see what she hasn't survived. 
she's thrived in her bondage. Well, that, that, that courage is contagious to those who observe it. Folks, remember, the adversary wants to use your adversity to his advantage. Now, that's a good line. The adversary, Satan, wants to use your adversity to his advantage. You know that, amen? You know the devil looks to, uh, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, but I'll give you abundant life as you turn to me moment by moment in faith. And so we, we, look, at, we look at what we would think as heroes of the faith. Moses saying to the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Elijah saying to those after, after he, the prophets of Baal were defeated, he said to the people, how long are you going to halt? How long are you going to vacillate between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And Joshua around the, following the, the uh, Jericho, choose you this day whom you will serve. When we think of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and, uh, and Esther and David before Goliath, how, how dare you defy the living God? I'll show you this day who, is, who is, uh, reigns, rules and reigns. Could, could Daniel have died? Sure. Hebrews 11 says lots of the saints have been executed, sawn in, in half, drowned, uh, of whom the world was not worthy. But, but we have enough examples of those who have held steadfastly to the Lord by faith. And we see their courage is contagious. It caused others to rally and follow him. Thomas Constable commented, rather than taking a low profile or lower because their leader was in chains, Paul, most of the local believers were inspired by Paul's courage. They were standing up boldly for Christ, trusting him as they had not done before. As you all know, most of you know, coming up, well, just this past Christmas time, it was 37 years ago, my dad, 13-year-old brother, 9-year-old sister, instantly killed by a drunk driver. And he had his hand slapped by the judge. Served just a little bit of time, two and a half years, killing three people, critically maiming another. Since then, I have officiated well over 500 funerals. The burden in my life, dare I say it, was beneficial. Because I have preached the gospel without any filter, without any restriction, to tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand people that I don't know in over 500 funerals that I never would have had, uh, ever happened before. Otherwise, you all following that? It, it never, preachers don't preach 500 funerals at my age. Most of them outside of our church Funeral directors just calling me from all over town. Me, me going to other states to conduct funerals. Sometimes before hundreds of people at the funeral. Sometimes before three or four people. 
open doors, beneficial open doors for the gospel because of a burden, because of a loss. You're going to face difficulties in life, even severe. Maybe you are presently. We're going to be dealt, what the world would say, dealt a bad hand, what the devil would want to bury us, to sink us. Folks, the issue is not the hand you're dealt as a believer. The issue is, how will I play the hand I'm dealt? I've, uh, I've had enough life experience with heartache and loss to tell you without any equivocation, hold on to the Lord in your darkest hour. Let that be the platform where the light shines the strongest. And you all, uh, I know I'm not alone. Many of you have been widowed as I have been. Uh, Many of you have lost near and dear loved ones as I have. Uh, Many of you have had very, very lean times financially as, as have I. And I have never known him to fail. Not when I call upon him. He doesn't fail. He abides faithful to all who will call upon him. So you're either going to react when you look at your bonds as how can they be beneficial for the cause of Christ or how is it going to bury me? Will your courage be contagious? And I close with this and I just thought of this. And I was young. I hadn't, I hadn't experienced, uh, check that, yes I had. It was after my dad, brother, and sister were killed. I was in one of my first courses in, uh, in seminary master's degree and the president's wife had terminal cancer I don't know ovarian I believe and it was it was spread it was metastasized everywhere and this this was back in the mid 80s I don't even think there was any such thing as a treatment of any kind maybe maybe uh, some kind of a rudimentary uh, chemotherapy and uh, she was getting down to her final days or weeks. They didn't know, but so weak that she couldn't even get up and walk around any longer. But her mind was sharp, uh, just like uh, Mark's brother and Arlie and Ray Smith. Thank the Lord for that. And her mind was very sharp. She gathered her grandchildren. had a lot of grandchildren, a dozen, 15, 20 grandchildren, a lot of grandchildren. And she says she gathered them all together in one place, And they knew that her days were were down to a few. And in her affliction, she immediately, like a laser, went to the benefit. And she said, for all of your lives of her grandchildren, obviously she was there for all of their lives, I have sought to teach you how to live and model that. Now I want you to watch me because I'm going to show you how to die. Do young people need to know how a saint dies? Yes. It was beneficial. Her courage was contagious to the next generation and the next generation. So can yours be.
Lord, um, may we not sink with fear and frustration, failure, when difficulties come our way. So thankful that your servant, the apostle to the Gentiles, did not, but stood strong in the face of profound difficulties. I'm going to face the, the emperor of the world in a hostile environment. And his courage caused the whole church practically to grow bold in the center of the world empire. <laughs> you planned that. You ordained that so that the gospel message would be heard there and around the world. So thank- And Lord, that's trickled down to us 2,000 years later. How good you are. How merciful you are. Move in our lives to be used of you in that way in 21st century America, middle America, the heartland. May we have the boldness and the courage of Paul and those believers at Rome that caused the gospel to spread like a wildfire. The whole world was turned upside down. Lord, would you turn upside down those within our sphere of influence? Would you turn upside down those in the ministry fields where our people are serving? Use us for your glory.